Welcome to episode 371 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. We're still in that C-squared conversation, that Christmas culture, and we've been separating it out, as it were, in its various facets. And we're going to talk about Christ of, preposition is important, of Christmas culture. And we'll get into all that stuff. It's going to be great. And I think, you know, I know oftentimes we've tried to make our episodes evergreen. Oh, man, this sounds like I'm just making a giant pun for this season. We've tried to make them the kind of thing that they're always relevant, that you could pick up an episode and listen. And in some ways, we'd like to think they're timeless. But also, there's a lot of people that listen and track with us at a part of the conversation in real time. So it's also super fun for us to record conversations that are really meaningful in the time in which we're actually speaking. And so it is the Christmas season. And that's why if you're listening to this in like June or March or August, you know, it's just, hopefully it's just as interesting to you, but where you and I are sitting right now is Christmas time. And so we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about it good. But before we do, Let's talk about the good and the bad, the beautiful and the ugly, the affirmations and the denials on this 371st episode. What are you affirming with? So this is this is one of those uh, multi-part affirmations. So have you ever had an experience where like you just forget that you've, you've had an experience full stop <laughs> where you just like forget that something is going on until after it's done? Like, like, like I'm you, in the experience or it's somebody else having the experience? The experience is there's something going on and you just forget about it until it's actually already over. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in past seasons, our listeners would have anticipated a denial of something called no quarter November. We've done that uh, several times in a row. And to be honest with you, like I just forgot about it. And it was like the best that I just forgot that it existed. Some of it is probably that I'm not on uh, social media really anymore. And so I'm not getting blasted with uh, like videos of Doug Wilson setting things on fire. So I'm affirming forgetting about stupid stuff like no no quarter November. But in the process of that, uh, the reason I'm remembering that no quarter November is a thing is because I was sent uh, an article by a listener who's a long good friend of mine. Um, he he wrote and he said something like, man, that Kevin DeYoung article on Doug Wilson was great, wasn't it? I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so the downside of not being on social media is that I'm not really keyed into the zeitgeist of like what articles are coming out unless it's already in my matter feed reader or feedly feed reader or whatever. I don't really know stuff's coming out. So what I'm affirming is this just totally fire article by Kevin DeYoung. Uh, apparently Kevin DeYoung doesn't blog at the gospel coalition anymore. Uh, he has his own website, which is called clearlyreformed.org, And he wrote an article that's called on culture war, Doug Wilson and the Moscow mood. Uh, it's kind of a long article. It's like 4,900 words. It's pretty lengthy. Ooh. But it is just a really good, fair critique of what he calls the Moscow mood, which I I don't know what you would call except like the Doug Wilson attitude. But the Moscow mood, definitely. You can tell that DeYoung is a professional preacher and I'm an amateur preacher because he just he just hits that alliteration naturally. And I'm like, I don't know. Doug Wilson is a, uh. is a jerk. Is that is that the thing? Um, <laughs> but the article basically he goes through and he sort of highlights and outlines the issues with what he calls the Moscow mood and why, you know, there's, I've heard some criticism of this article that like it, it lets Doug Wilson's theological errors off the hook. That's not what DeYoung is doing. He's critiquing a very particular element of Doug Wilson. And even for all of my criticisms of Doug Wilson, he's a mixed bag, right? There are some things he says that are totally fine and orthodox, and he is a very clever writer, and he articulates things in uh, clever ways that sometimes can be useful. Um, there are, are a fair number of commendable things in his writing. Um, the book Reformed is not enough, although there are some major challenges and issues with that book. There's also some very commendable things. So it's not as though he is entirely bad. Like We're not talking about like Arius 
mixed with like a mustache twirling villain tying to a tying a damsel in distress to like railroad tracks. As far as I know, Doug Wilson has never tied anyone to railroad tracks, nor has he ever twirled his mustache. But DeYoung is critiquing a very particular element of it. And this is this is only a part of it. So he kind of talks about like he sort of works through the No Quarter November videos. And this is one of the things he pulls out. So he pulls out a couple different um a couple different issues that he sees. And I just want to read this this quote here because I think it's what we see with Doug Wilson that I think is problematic is that like the part of Doug Wilson's character and personality that is so problematic is also the part that people like so much. And that's, that's one of the main critiques here. So he writes, he's talking about, um, he's kind of critiquing the first no quarter November video, or maybe it was the most recent. He says, quote, first it strikes a tone that is deliberately sarcastic and a little bit naughty. So he's, he's pointing that out that like Doug Wilson is actually trying to be sarcastic. He's trying to use edge language that is he points out that the word wuss is like a combination of the word wimpy and then another word that Christians probably shouldn't use and he says second the video takes cheap shots at Christians and this is this is one of the things that I think has always been a problem and always been disturbing to me about Wilson is he has this incredible animosity that he displays towards towards unbelievers so rather than showing compassion for and um, love for the lost, he tends to show like animosity and hostility towards those who are not Christians. Now, there's a place for hostility towards non-Christian philosophies or non-Christian theologies, but he seems to show genuine hostility towards non-Christians themselves. And then on top of that, he also shows this sort of hostility and he targets like Christians who do not agree with his program. He goes after them on almost like a personal level. He attacks them. So I would really encourage the reader or the listener in this case to go read this article. It's very long, not very long. It's long, longer than most people would probably sit down and read a blog article. Um, I listened to it on matter. We've talked about matter in the past. It's a great, a great application that'll convert a, a, you know, a blog article to text that you can listen to, but I would encourage people to go listen to it. And, Here's the thing. DeYoung is not going to convince anybody who's a Wilson supporter. The Wilson supporters are not going to probably get past the fact that this is a criticism of Wilson. In general, this isn't true across the board, but in general, my experience with Doug Wilson supporters is that it doesn't really matter how fair your critique is or how apt it is. If you're critiquing Wilson, then you're going to get attacked. And that's just the way it is. And on one level, I sort of understand that. Like, There's a loyalty that is almost unquestionable in that camp. But this article is, it's winsome. It's, it's sharp. It is a clear critique of something that I don't know how anybody could look at it and not say, yes, what DeYoung is saying is an unbiblical approach is clearly an unbiblical approach. There's a place to be sarcastic and biting. And there's a, a place to be um, articulating a specific criticism. But, Wilson goes beyond that. So read the article. Again, it's on his website, uh, clearlyreformed.org. And the title of the article is On Culture War, Doug Wilson, and the Moscow Moon. There you go. That's a great summary as Eddie we've done so far because it probably pulls attention away from Doug Wilson. But if you don't know anything about what Tony's talking about, it's probably best for you to read the Kevin DeYoung article. And I think we'll get a better perspective and an entry point into that whole conversation, which how long has that been going on for? I mean, I didn't realize it, but Doug Wilson's almost 80 years old. He's not, he's not oh, a wow. chicken. Yeah. I think we're maybe I'm wrong, but I thought I read that recently. He's not young. He's been at it for a long time. And the thing that's challenging about Doug Wilson is that he utilizes, um, standard reform language, but he utilizes it in his own particular way. And, you know, we were having a conversation about it in the Telegram chat the other day. There are some really, really disturbing, unorthodox things that Doug Wilson says. So so I don't want to um, I don't want to paint a picture that just because I think there are commendable things about Doug Wilson that we shouldn't be very wary. Doug Wilson on the Trinity is not good. Right. He, he is 
he actually goes beyond what most EFS advocates would even even agree with in terms of he explicitly says that the father and son are different things. Like the father is authority, the son is submission. Um, but it's it's not new, and and there are so many things about Doug Wilson that are concerning. Um, the Moscow mood is like the least of of the concerns. But that said, it's also one of the most obvious and easiest concerns to get your head around. So I think that Kevin's article, as if like on the first, like a first name basis, we, we went to the same seminary. So I think we must be best friends, even though we weren't there anywhere, even in the same decade, I don't think. But um, he gets his head and his hands around like the most obvious issue. And the one that regardless of your theological perspectives, regardless of your um, your your theological commitments. We all should be able to agree that like Christian unity and Christian fellowship and love for one another should be tantamount. But he makes the point that like in the most recent No Quarter November video, the first shot that Doug Wilson takes is at other Christians. He makes fun of Southern Baptists who might support the ERLC. Like it's it's just an obvious thing. So Kevin DeYoung is a far better writer than I will ever be. So just go read his work. But I, I just think it's a really good article if you haven't had a chance to really think about the sort of um, tonal issues with Doug Wilson. I hate I hate tone police. Like there's there's an inappropriate level of tone, tone policing that happens on the Internet. But that doesn't mean that tone is irrelevant and that tone should not have some sort of character to it. And I think that's a it's a valid criticism. So go read the article. It's a great article. It's longer, but it's worth the read. And just bookmark it. I, when I was looking at it, I was like, I should highlight some of this. I was like, I would just highlight the whole thing. Just highlight the whole thing, and and that'll do it. It's just there's not a there's not like a wasted word in this article too. Beyond like the content and the topic, Kevin DeYoung is just such a good writer. He he's just a really good, clear, articulate writer. That's high praise. Yeah. What are you, uh, what are you affirming tonight, Jesse? I'm uh, coming back at something I think I affirmed two episodes ago. I'm just revisiting it and I'm adding some more to it. So just, it's like a second helping, if you will. The new year is upon us and there's so much common grace in the new year. We talked about it's, it's arbitrary, but in so many ways, it's not because it's built into God's creation that there's an order of things. Yeah. And so we celebrate this turning over of the calendar, celestial bodies, all this stuff. And there are some things in our human culture, I mean, like, and I say that like human writ large, that we just take for granted, start over. One of those things generally is our finances. So I'd mentioned before that many people, or even if you've never heard before of this budgeting availability, it's on the internet called mint.com. It's going away. And so many of the users are mourning that's going away. And they're looking for different solutions. I'd mentioned one before, which was the initialism was why nab you need a budget. And that's fine. That's a great option. I'm just going to come at two other ones just for everybody to consider. Because again, now is the time to start thinking about if you've ever thought, you know what, it'd be great for me to get back into a place where I understand what's going on with my money. I see where it's being spent. I have a sense for the assets I've acquired. All those are really great things. And I actually think they help us to create this proper priority or this hacking order where it's earn, save, give, live below our means so that we might be generous, that we give to the work of God. And we just live in this lovely age where we can measure that kind of stuff. It, the old saying is true. You cannot manage what you do not measure. So if you're feeling like your finances are a bit out of sort, then here's what I recommend to you. I'm referring with two other ways to go about this and measure that. One is Monarch. It's another budgeting and money tracking app. It also comes at a cost, but the older I get and the more I look at this and I see finances in people's lives, the more I understand that sometimes when you pay for something, you're more likely to use it. So this is just another alternative. It is fantastic. And I'll just leave it for you. Check it out. The other one, somewhat unexpected, like the dark horse, maybe like the nerdy horse, if you will, is Microsoft Excel. And you know, this doesn't come with all the automated features. It doesn't automatically download all your transactions like some of these other apps do. It doesn't automatically set things up for you. But the benefit of it is that it gives you like a greater closeness to what is actually going on because it requires you to build out a form. Or honestly, you can download easily if you're in Microsoft Excel, all these like templated different kind of expressions of budgets. They're all there for you. Yeah. It's a little bit more work, not that much more work. 
but it's a bit like walking barefoot on your grass. You're going to feel the ground more closely. You're going to be more intimately connected with it. And that's not a bad thing. And these days, I think like the Microsoft package costs maybe $7 a month. Yeah, so it's yeah. like highly comparable to other sources. So I'm just throwing that out there for you loved ones. If again, if you're looking to say, you know what, in the new year, not necessarily a resolution per se, but it could be that you just like to get a better sense of what's going on in your financial life. And that's never a bad thing. This is not about a legalistic approach to understanding where your money goes or how you use it, but in honoring God and maybe making your life a little bit easier because you have a greater sense of that knowledge that is taking dominion. And I encourage you to do it and Monarch or the old, good old fashioned Microsoft Excel, which is almost bound to never go away. Yeah. Those are two great options. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not into, into Microsoft, if you don't want to spend the, I think it's like $8 a month for the, the subscription, Google Sheets. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, sure. there are some features that you're going to lose out on that you would have in, in Excel that you might not have access to in Google Sheets, but there's not a lot. And at the end of the day, like a, a budget is a pretty simple spreadsheet to create. Um, you know, I I don't necessarily work with budgets in my work, but I have uh, some exposure to profit and loss uh, sheets in in my case in a nonprofit, but in in a profit industry too. And this is not that complicated. Like a home budget or a family budget is pretty straightforward. It's it's a list of categories and it's a top line and a bottom line. And it's at the end of the day, it's making sure that the bottom line is black instead of red and adjusting the lines above it so that that works out. And then following it, that's the key to any budget is you actually have to follow the budget that you set up, which is both the easiest and also the hardest part of managing a budget Setting the budget is easy. Following the budget is actually the challenging part, uh, but it's also the most simple part of the process. So yeah, I think that's great. I haven't looked into Monarch. I know that YNAB, I've actually been looking into YNAB uh, for the new year just because I think it's it's one of those things where like it never hurts to take a look at how you're spending your money, even if you don't end up using that service long-term. Yep, and sure. I know YNAB does like a free, it's not 30 days, what is it, like 34 days and it's like 34 uh, it, it's some strange off number but you know there theirs is like $100 a year is the cost i think and they say the average user saves $600 in the first month right. uh which is uh, obviously like even if you only save one you know like one sixth of that you've already saved the full cost of the service in the first month i would imagine monarch probably has a similar kind of return on investment if you really if you really follow the process um almost almost any way that you set and keep a budget is going to cause you to save money in the long run uh, i can't imagine i actually can't imagine a scenario where setting and keeping a budget would result in you spending more money than you would if you didn't. Um, you know, unless maybe like there were bills or something that you totally were forgetting about on a regular basis and getting your budget set meant you didn't forget about them anymore. But that's it. That's obviously a good thing too. So yeah, I'll have to check out Monarch. It, I, just from the very quick Google review, it looks like a pretty cool service. It looks like one of the main things they've got going for them is they have like a an option for you to have both you and another person that I mean, they're saying yes. your partner, but it's like your wife, yep. you have your own accounts, uh, but they're linked into the same thing. So yes. it allows you to actually see work together where a lot of services, like you have one account and usually like, and this is sort of how household budgeting seems to work in general. It's like one person manages the budget and the other person is almost like a passive partner. seems like Monarch is focused on having both people be active participants in that process. Yeah, that's for sure. And if you're a Mint user, you're going to find a lot of it very eerily almost familiar. And that's because the former management of that product was the one that actually started Monarch. So if you're looking for something that's like super adjacent or analogous, this would be the one. But you're right. To my mind and in my view, the beauty of this kind of thing is we often just don't know or we don't quantify or it's very difficult. And nobody's putting that aside. That It's difficult to quantify this stuff. That's the first step. Just get some knowledge of what's going on in your life. And it's okay to say and to start from a place where you're like, honestly, I really don't know. I know we spend money on things. 
Maybe we spend money on more incidentals. Maybe we spend more money on large purchases, but I just don't know. So the first step, even even before you can probably quantify or set aside a budget, is just to say, hey, let's figure out where all the stuff is going. Yeah, This is like a lovely excuse to do that. It's worth paying the money. Listen, I can be parsimonious. I know that you might feel like, really, you're asking me to spend a little money and they're not even sponsoring the podcast to purchase these apps so you can understand where your money goes as part of its own expense and outflow. And I'm saying it's totally worth it because that kind of knowledge will be the kind of thing that shapes the way in which you plan for the future. And again, I think the way in which you spend your money toward God's kingdom, it's all super valuable, but until you know, you just don't know. So if you're of like a certain age or error, you'll understand that there was this amazing cartoon. It was G.I. Joe. And at the end of every G.I. Joe, they said, knowing is half the battle. In this case, that is absolutely true. Knowing where your money goes is even more than half the battle. Yeah, funny story. I'm almost ashamed to, to bring this up. So I, I used to work for Best Buy in a former life. And one of the things that was amazing about Best Buy is they had this really sweet employee discount. And you, at the time, I don't have no idea what the discount is now. I haven't worked for Best Buy for over a decade now. But um, you would pay 5 or 10% above whatever cost was. So, you know, there's always a markup on a product. And instead of paying the markup, you would just pay 5% or 10% above cost. And I had worked for Best Buy probably for like five or six years when they introduced the ability for employees to look like they would have in your employee profile how much money you had spent on things that you used your employee discount for. Mm -hmm. And then you could subdivide that out by category. Yeah. And I don't have I don't have uh, documentation to prove this. And at the time, it wasn't like an official statement. But when they released this ability for for employees to be able to see by category what it was they were spending on, the number one category that people were using their employee discount on was was soda, and and it was ridiculous because people were spending like like 30% of their paychecks over over the course of their entire time working there on things like soda and candy and chips because we got a really great discount on that stuff but you would you would buy a huge amount of that stuff and then immediately after they released this data and they made it so everybody could see it like that number just plummeted yeah. so once i mean th- that just illustrates like when you know how you're actually spending your money i mean how easy was it for me, when I worked at Best Buy, sometimes to drink two or three 20 ounce sodas over the course of a shift. And that might seem like a lot of money, but like it really added up over time. It was like three or $4 per shift. And it was like, man, that was a ton of money that was being spent. So I think this is absolutely on point. And, you know, like not to get overly theological, although getting overly theological might be my love language. It's our brand. There's a ton of reality to the fact that like knowing and seeing how things uh, unfold and being aware of like aware of where you're devoting your attention, how you're spending your time. This is part of like why I'm really into bullet journaling and time tracking is like knowing how you spend, how seeing in hard numbers, how you allocate your time, your money, whatever it might be. It's a real eye opener and it really does shape your, um, shape your perspective. So like, I know that I, I read the Bible for 40, 48, 49 hours worth of time last year, which feels like a huge amount, but considering that's only two days out of 365, right. it's, it's not actually that much. Right. So I just think this is financially, it's great. Whether you're talking about time, money, whatever it is, it's always good to get a sober assessment of how you're actually allocating your resources. Yeah. Speaking of time, which like is incredibly eluding us at this point, <laughs> what are you denying against? So I'll keep this relatively quick. I have a question for you. So yeah. you you grew up in New England. How many seasons are there in New England? Or how maybe I should say how many seasons were there when you when you lived? Yeah. There? So I think you're. So if I understand your question, in some ways you're setting me up for, this is classic, to say three, which I would like totally understand. So I'm going to go but three and a half. Oh, see, I'm going the other direction. So. Oh, really? Okay. So like scientifically, there's four seasons, right? There's the period of time between an equinox and uh, and a, a solstice and then the solstice and the equinox and that repeats. So there's four of those. I have always been under the impression that in New Hampshire, there are five seasons. 
and the fifth being mud season. But oh, I've been recently yes. made aware that there is actually a sixth season. Well, do you know what the sixth, sixth, that's hard to say, sixth season in New Hampshire or more particularly Vermont is? Uh, can you give me a hint? Uh, there's a, it's a good, it's a good Southern Baptist alliteration is the, the name of the season seasons. There's a full immersion season. <laughs> there is not a full immersion season. That's, that's a good one though. No. So I just recently became aware that there's a sixth season. So mud season is the period of time when it's not quite winter and it's yep. not quite spring and everything that's is full right. of mud. There's also now what I've been told is a season where it's not quite winter okay. and it's past fall. So it's not fall okay. anymore and it's not quite winter. And you're going to, when you, when I say the name of this, you're going to be like, Oh, that makes perfect sense. It's called stick season. And it's this period where okay. all the leaves have come off the trees, but there's yeah. no snow yet. And everything just looks terrible and dead. And all the trees are just sticks. Interesting. So apparently I haven't either, but apparently there was the viral video, some viral TikTok. Somebody wrote a song or something. But we were driving around today. I was like, man, the world just looks terrible right now. Like, if we go from this amazingly, painfully beautiful fall foliage season into, you know, eventually into this amazingly, painfully beautiful snow season where it's just gorgeous and amazing. Yeah. But right now, everything's gray and muddy and gross, and there's no leaves, but there's also no snow yet. So I'm denying stick season. It's just awful, it's just gross. It's depressing. It there's nothing beautiful. It's like when Frodo says just there's nothing beautiful or happy in the world anymore. That's yeah. that's where I feel right now as far as the weather goes. So counterpoint that comes from my part of the world, and it, it's so funny that you bring this up. But this is all of our conversations are what we call serendipitous, which is just to say providence. Yes. So this past week, last Lord's Day, I was uh, in the Lord's house. And this is like a quote in David. I was just at church, loved ones. There's nothing fancy about this. It's the normative principle of worship. And so I was right, right before the service starts, those who are participating and leading the worship through music, we have a time of prayer. And you end up in our, what we call like a little prayer room. And I was there with just another uh, sister in Christ. And uh, she's a little bit older. <laughs> and I would say like very, just sensitive to the spirit. And she's sitting, this just makes me laugh because of what you said. We're sitting there and I come in, it's just the two of us. She's already kind of gazing out this narrow window, one of two windows that's in the room and it's quiet. I sit down, uh, I say, good morning. I say her name and she's still focusing on the outside. She's, she acknowledges me. And then she says, you know, I just love the nakedness outside. And I was like, I'm sorry. I guess one of those conversations, like you shouldn't lead in with that kind of, no matter what your, your impression is, like what you're trying to communicate. And then she goes on to I, essentially in your language, talk about like the stick season now to her. And this is what she goes on to say. Like, she's like, I love it when the trees are bare to see like their internal skeleton in the shape. And she goes on to wax like poetically and eloquently to opine about this. And I will say like, in a weird way, I was like, Okay, I do remember saying at the end of that, I wouldn't start with the nakedness thing, but I totally get what you're saying. In a way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is kind of nice because you can actually see the scenery like you can see. That's like, fair. Obviously, I live in your childhood home, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you look out over the back of out of the yeah, back of our house, there's yep. actually a ridge of really beautiful mountains. Right. But you can't see it most of the year because there's these yeah. th there's these thick private like a privacy line of trees between us and the property behind us. Privacy trees. So yeah, there's a there's a nice element to stick season, but right now like the world is just gross and gray and bleak. So give that's me some fair. snow, and then I'll be ready to complain about the snow. That's kind of the New England way. Like you're just you complain about the season you're in, and you look forward to the next season until you get there, and then you complain about that one. That's just the way it is. But yeah, stick season. I'm not such a fan right now. Because like, I get what you're saying, like the stick season, I'm not going to belabor this, except I am. So everybody get ready. Is that when the snow comes and it covers all of that structure of the trees, there's something strangely, eerily, comfortingly beautiful yeah. about that covering. It takes everything and transforms it. Now that is a spiritual concept we could opine on for the next yes. 20 minutes. So there is like this beauty in being covered in a covering 
especially one that's like as beautiful and brilliant as snow, that purity. So it does bring about a transformation. Absent that transformation, I'm with you. You just went from like a season where like everything was green to a season where every leaf was a flower to a season where there is nothing. So I'm with you. I, I appreciate the seasons. Our loved ones who get two or three seasons are like, what are you guys talking about? Come hang out with us sometime. You'll love it. It's true. What are you denying, Jesse? Yeah. So uh, time really eludes us at this point. I'm going to try <laughs> to make this super brief. And uh, the thing is, I'd spoken to my wife ahead of time about this particular denial, asking whether I should or not deny this. The impressions were mixed. And you're going to understand why in just a second, because this is somewhat heavy. I didn't anticipate even when I woke up this morning that I would be speaking this out loud. So uh, I guess what I'm denying against is, and I'm not sure how to say this, so I hope everybody held grace with me, is the denial of the loneliness and the trauma of death and its realization when it's placed in front of you in ways that are unexpected and anonymous. So every Saturday morning, I really have this blessed privilege of running with some people that I love and appreciate. And I don't live in a particularly urban area, but I don't live far from one. And in fact, the state capital in which I live, and it is an urban area. And so it's divided by a large body of water, which is a large river. And so there's a lot of jokes in this area about the bifurcation that that brings. That on one side of that river, on the more urban and populous side, there is a lot different atmosphere. There's a lot different vibe. The demographics are very different than the other side. And because of that, that means like the socioeconomic status and the rate of crime is also very different. And so this is, I'd like to say this is the first time, but it's not the first time. We're in the course of going out and we do this run where we go to the riverfront and we go across and we come back that in the course of that, there's been at least one other occasion where uh, unwittingly, we ran very close several times, close to somebody who had perished uh, very very closely to the time in which we were running. Today, I was with two friends of mine. We ran across this bridge and I said to them, hey, gents, you want to go left? Or you want to go right today? There's two options. We went to the right. My wife, who was behind me with another group of people, they went to the left. And in so doing, they actually came across uh, the discovery of a person who had perished in the river. And when we all got back, that was, of course, the talk of, did you see, did you see there was a body there? Did you, did you experience that? And I remember one of the runners who we were with, she said, and I, this is a very innocent comment, but she said, oh, my word, I, you, you actually saw it. I can't believe I didn't get to see it. I, I would have at least liked to experience that. And this other runner who had seen it, who was a very unassuming gentleman, his face just became ashen. He said, why would you want to see that? And it's just a reminder. I mean, I've just been thinking this a lot today. Like the gravity of death is so profound by itself, but there's so many people in my own community who find themselves in a place of hopelessness, homelessness, addiction, who literally die in places all alone in really like these unfortunate settings. And I thought in saying this, I'm not the victim. We're not the victim who haven't experienced this. And there's so many parts of the world right now where there are people used to seeing their loved ones or their neighbors or people in the community literally strewn about that uh, being having their lives taken from them like unceremoniously and ridiculously and unnecessarily. And so I guess, again, this, aff- this affirmation, this denial is really about uh, death in all its forms. But our realization that in some ways I was saying to my wife that we seeing death, and I'm talking about like seeing a body that is no longer animated, that has perished, has become in many places of the world, especially in the West, this thing that happens like in this really closed climate controlled kind of way. Yeah. And so we forget that death is real. It is tragic that I I really am thinking about this. Don't care who you are, that any kind of death in any kind of way is just so unnatural. And then to experience in a way where like, here I am, on a day of relaxation, allegedly, going for a run. And to come across this is uh, awful, but it's awful in every way. It's awful in war. It's awful in recreation. It's awful in family. It's awful in friendship. So, yeah, that's it. I don't really know what to say. It's a weird It's yeah. a weird denial, I recognize. But yeah, it's the place where I'm at when I think about it today. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what there is to add to that, except the, let's talk about Christmas now. <laughs> yeah, well, here's my segue if, if people will entertain it is that when we talk about like Christ of Christmas, like inevitably at the center in the first principle 
no matter how you want to slice and dice Christmas, it must in its celebration. It comes from this genesis of celebrating that a savior has come to save us from this death, that those who walk in the shadow of death have seen the lights and realize that there is a great savior who rescues them. So I'm actually in some strange way, like encouraged today because this is the savior that I need. It's the savior that the world needs. And that the beauty of celebrating Christmas, if there's any beauty to it, is not in the lights that were on the bridge that we crossed actually as we ran, which are beautiful and in a way that's just expressive of light and darkness, but that the ultimate bridge is the one that God has breached in the chasm of sin by sending his son who is like us in every way, but yet was without sin. Yeah. So let's talk about the Christ of Christmas, which in some ways is to say like, is like the OG Christmas. Like, and I mean, OG Christmas, not in the sense of like we're reappropriating pagan holidays, but in the sense that when we're talking about the fact that there is a savior and he's come, that that is at some way, even when people sing, hark the herald angels sing, that is whether they want to or not, they're speaking of the savior that we're about to talk about. So where should we start? What What is Christ of Christmas? Yeah. I mean, I think it's worth saying, you know, we last week we talked about like the elements of Christmas that maybe Christians, Christmas culture that maybe Christians should push against. I think it's worth acknowledging, and we've done full episodes on this in the past. We're not going to belabor the point, but it's worth acknowledging that Christmas is not the celebration of Christ's nativity at a particular time of year is not an uncontroversial thing among Reformed Christians. Right. So I don't want people, because today we're going to be talking about kind of like what is commendable in the cultural understanding of Christmas. What's commendable? What can Christians appropriate? What can Christians emphasize that is useful? We shouldn't, that shouldn't be construed as though we're ignorant of the fact that there are potentially, um, even apart from what we talked about last week, right? We're focusing on like the cultural celebration of Christmas that's not to say we don't recognize there are pitfalls potentially in the way that sometimes Christians create new holy days uh, out of out of redemptive history events or out of man-made events, right? Not that Christmas is a man-made event in terms of the the event it's celebrating, but that's not really our focus. So if people want to like write emails to be like, I thought you guys said you were reformed and you're not harping on Christmas all the time. Uh, we have lots of episodes that we've talked about the challenges there. So acknowledging that, I think what we want to talk about tonight is that there are a lot of elements of the, the broader Western cultural celebration of Christmas that are commendable and that are compatible with Christian faith and that not only serve as a touch point for evangelism and sharing your faith with those in your community and those in your workplace or in your family, but our downright common grace, like recognitions of what God has done in the world. So this is a silly example, but you know, I've got a 20 month year old son and he, um, you know, we try to limit his screen time, but one of the things that we commonly watch is this like strange, like YouTube sensation called Miss Rachel, right? It's this this woman who started making videos for her own son during the pandemic because there wasn't a lot of in, uh, educational content out there. She's become like this internet phenom. And she does um, she does a Christmas special. And it's this mixture of kind of like what I call happy slappy Christmas carols. So like up on the rooftop, reindeers, pause, like cultural celebration kinds of songs that have no real no real substance to them. And that could be like, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas or Mariah Carey's like, I'll be home for Christmas. Like all these different songs that just don't really have a lot of substance to them. But in the middle of that is this, this woman and this like group of people dressed up like elves singing Silent Night, like Round Yon Version, Mother and Child, like singing words that are directly out of the gospel story, out of the nativity story. So I, I only bring that example to bear in that, if if we ignore all else about the Christmas season, it is a particular time of year when the culture at large is open to, at the very least, is open to hearing Christian language and hearing religious language and hearing language from the Gospels, right? Nobody gets mad 
when somebody puts on the Christmas, uh, the Peanuts Christmas special, and Linus right. straight up preaches the gospel out of the gospel, right, of Luke, right. right? Nobody gets mad at that this time of year. Where other times of the year, if you talk about how God sent Christ to become a baby to die for the sins of the world, and say that that's that's the most important thing anyone can know, other times of the year people are going to get angry at that. So all of that to say, there is an opportunity at this time of year that Christians have to be open and direct and transparent about their faith that they may not otherwise have. And so we're going to, we're going to talk about some of the like particular cultural elements of Christmas and the Western cultures that we see that are, are commendable, but all of that should be understood kind of in the context of this opportunity that we have, right? There are elements that we should appropriate that are worshipful elements or that are, are cultural elements that are useful and profitable and reflect common grace. But undergirding all of that, under underlying all of that, is that those common grace principles are things that other people are kind of tapped into this time of year that they might not otherwise be tapped into. Yeah, I think that's right. It's one of those weird expressions where there's so much happening in our world where there's this renewed focus on peace on earth, goodwill toward men, generosity, giving, such that we have this expression, tis the season, which right. is to say like, this is something separate from all other seasons in which for whatever reason, in this particular calendar part of the year, I am more willing to give, more willing to be patient, more willing to be kind, more willing to love one another. And of course we should be asking, well, from whence does that come? And I would say the nominal Christian or the non-Christian will just say, it's a good feeling. What's the sense of renewed humanity or this purpose of loving one another? But that can't exist outside of a progenitor. It has to have yeah. a genesis. So, of course, like I'm with you. That's like the beauty of this. And even if I think like you don't testify into that, and I think you're right in that we have an opportunity to do that, even if you silently, as it were, celebrate that, knowing from where it comes that it is a common grace, that God is good to us in this way. And that what we express now by way of humanity is in some way like common understanding and focus on these principles, that that is in some ways like a view in a weird way of the eschaton, except totally purified when we're all glorified in that sin is no more and removed and that we come into the beatific vision of Jesus and then we live in the grace of God the Father such that this will be our life. In other words, like every day will be Christmas in that way. So you beat me to it. And I think I just want to quote this part because it is meaningful to me. I always remember seeing this on the television growing up. And even now, I'll be honest with you, if I watch it, it gets me a little bit teary-eyed when I think about it. But let's just go through quickly because I think what you said is like the, the perfect precursor to this conversation that I guess we're actually having and time eludes us <laughs> as always. But um, this is from a Charlie Brown Christmas, which by the way, everybody should just go watch. Stop the podcast. Go grab your family together, get blankets, get popcorn. And on that popcorn, you should definitely put coconut oil. And then you should watch Charlie Brown Christmas. This is like the zenith of that particular episode. Charlie Brown says this, I guess you're right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree, said Charlie Brown. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I don't really know what Christmas is all about. Is there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about, said Linus. And he walks to the center of the stage where they're on. He says this, lights, please. And they all go out except for a spotlight on him. He says this. And they were in the same country, shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That is Christmas. Yeah. I mean, that last part, glory to God in the highest, who has given his son. And because he's given his son to be like us and to live 
proactively under the law and then to die in such a way that we might be forgiven and redeemed and set free. There is on earth peace and there is goodwill toward men. So you're right. Like that is of all the times in the year, like it's like everybody is teeing us up to talk about this. But it's also something to celebrate in that everybody, for whatever reason, even if it's just like nostalgia or the taste of gingerbread is somehow drawn to these principles and ideals. I'm the little I get fine with that as well, knowing that like it's the Holy Spirit that transforms, change the heart. So in so much as people want to say like, I want to sing the Christmas carols, I want to hear carolers, I want to go to church. I say yes, 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 and yes. Yeah. I think one of the things that it, it strikes me this time of year Right. And, and tomorrow, so like we're recording this on December 2nd. Tomorrow's the first day of Advent. You know, there are some Scottish uh, Covenanter style Christians that are just blowing gaskets that I said Advent. But one of the things that I think is interesting about this time of year is it's almost like the culture as a whole zeroes in on the, just like you said, zeroes in on the eschatological hope, right? right? So, so the, 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 the hope of Christianity is this is going to almost feel and sound a little blasphemous. It's not just unity with Christ, right? So we, we've talked about how, like last week we talked about the downside of Christmas culture is divorcing Christ from his benefits, like trying to get the benefits of Christ, peace on earth, joy to the world, trying to get that without Jesus. There's a reality to Christian faith that although union with Christ is the highest good and all other benefits flow from that, that's not the only benefit. And one of the benefits is this reunited harmony with other human beings, right? So in the garden, it wasn't just relationship between God and the creature that was disrupted. It was also relationship between the creature and, and other creatures. So Adam and Eve turned on each other, right? And and ever since then, humans have turned on each other and have ripped each other ripped each other apart over time. And at Christmas time, it's almost like the culture sees this glimpse of the future, of the eschatological hope, that we won't be at each other's throats anymore. So it's like like we, it's a season of forgiveness for each other. It's a season where like family comes together and old feuds are forgotten, right? You see like Hallmark Channel specials where like the bully and the kid he bullied, they run into each other 10 years later and like they finally resolve their stuff because it's Christmas and why would we be at each other's throat? And of course they're, they're humorously at each other's throat for a while until they realize that really we should forgive each other. But like that's, that's the culture seeing what what the Christian hope actually is or part of the Christian hope actually is. And while it's really, really bad to try to get that divorced from Christ, it's not a bad thing that the culture longs for that, right? I'm not a huge fan of C.S. Lewis, but like his argument that like because because people long for something beyond this world is good evidence that there's actually something beyond this world. Right. That's true. And because... Because people long for, and this time of year, they they yearn for and they orient themselves towards this unity and fellowship and peace and goodwill between men. We need to see that. And it's totally appropriate for us to capitalize on that, both in terms of like appropriating that for our own faith and remembering that and celebrating it this time of year, but even more so in terms of recognizing that feature of the culture, recognizing that that probably is like a hangover from when the West used to be a Christian culture, but also recognizing that people, people feel that way and they orient themselves that because there's something within them that wants to do that, that gravitates toward that. There's a natural yearning for the restoration of all things that our souls cry out for. So I think we, we as Christians should, should, not only should we recognize that that is good and commendable in, in what we're calling Christmas culture, but we shouldn't waste that opportunity either. It's like every December, everybody realizes there's like an anthropological crisis. Yeah. Don't you think that yeah. this is like, this isn't the way it ought to be. And like you, we see this in like extreme ways that prove the point that are not just like the Hallmark movies where they're like fictional stories. 
But you think about World War II. I was just going to bring this up, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you see enemies literally celebrating and bringing peace to one another for some reason on that day without like any kind of governmental or fiat decree which would bring peace or ceasefire. It happens more or less naturally because there's some expression, there's some acknowledgement that this day is separate. What if it's not about the day? What if it's about the one for whom the day is for? And that in his presence, he makes all things right. That when he comes to heal, he heals both the person and the society and the world that he's created. And we have like some sense, like you're saying, like a taste and a moose-bouche, like some kind of connection to that. And when we are not believers, we don't understand it. We sample it and we say, well, it seems appropriate. It seems appropriate for a time. And then we come back to that period of time and that season. We say, yes, it's time for that again. And many people, I mean, how many people would say like this time of year is their favorite time of year? In many ways, because of what it inspires. They sense there's something mystical. There's something, dare I say, like magical in the sense. And I think when people say magical, they mean like transcendent. That there's something special about the feeling and the vibe and the underpinnings, which lead us back to one another to bring about peace and reconciliation. And it's something in that peace and reconciliation that seems outside of ourselves. It's not yeah. about creating new laws or about trying to legislate morality or ethics. It's that something else governs us. And that beauty of the government that is outside of ourselves, that is transcendent and super jacing, that is the thing that we willingly submit to because we understand it to be good. So I'm with you. Like, there's a massive amount of common grace, which is why, like, this argument is saying that we need to forsake Christmas on its own. I think is a little bit misguided because yeah. certainly there's a lot of commercialism around that. But what part of our lives, especially in the Western world, is not commercialized? You just go on Facebook or TikTok or Instagram today. You're going to find that every experience that you have, in some way, try, somebody's tried to infiltrate with commercialism. So that, that's not a valid excuse to throw this out. I think in more ways, it's about trying to remind ourselves that the center of this is a celebration of Jesus, that this word has become flesh and that Jesus is the only one who can give like a complete and proper diagnosis of a human condition and then can to provide for us the remedy for that condition. And everybody in some way has their eye, a keen eye toward that remedy. And it's more manifest in this time of year. So if the non-believer wants to put a crush out on their lawn, I mean, it's not my jam necessarily to, to look at that and to uh, meditate on it, but there is a part of me that's like good for you. Yeah. You, know, do you know what I'm saying? Like th there's a part of me that says, yes, like that is the proper direction. That heartfelt concern, that weird direction that you have that other times of the year in like July 2nd yeah. is going to not make any sense here for some reason, it makes sense to you and lean in, lean in. And, and all I pray is that like, as I interact with people, as they find themselves at one of two times in the year when they go to church, that they would hear the gospel, that God would use that gospel and implant it firmly in their hearts and their minds, they'd be convicted by that, that they find that the other part of Christmas, which promises like some fulfillment, either in family or gifts or attitude or vibe, would be so incomplete that they would be left with the only thing that is, everything else that's burned out, that what remains would be Jesus. That message that they heard at the Christmas Eve service that their local church had, that they felt they ought to go to because somehow that was their duty in this part of the year, yeah. that that would be left and remain and that the Holy Spirit would use that to bring about a new regeneration because this is what God does. And the fact that he would do that in our culture by way of a Christmas season, I mean, maybe you tell me, maybe I'm the old man on my tiny lawn shaking my fist, but I'm saying, Lord, have your way in this yeah. time. And if you're going to do it in this way, who am I to say I'm not okay with that? Yeah. Yeah. Here's a, here's, and maybe I'll close with this, this example is there's uh, near where, where I live, where Jesse grew up, there's this Roman Catholic, uh, like monastery shrine, something um, called La Salette. And although it's, it's a mixed, uh, there's mixed emotions that I have about this. They're actually closing down. So the Roman Catholic church is finally letting the property go. And uh, every year they would do this large sort of Christmas light display uh, where they have their whole hillside is covered with lights and they have all sorts of different stuff. Um, my understanding is you used to be able to go up among the lights and then it became a legal liability concern. 
but probably, I mean, you're, you're probably better equipped to understand than I am how many people go through there every year, but like probably thousands of people would come to this location to see the lights every year. And Jesse and I have like, we've both joked around a little bit and then also had some serious conversations offline about like, you know, there's like the, there's like a nativity scene room where there's, there's all these different nativity sets from all across the world. Um, you know, there's lots and lots of statues and imagery of the Virgin Mary with the baby Jesus. All of that aside, every person who comes through there is being exposed to at least elements of the biblical story that underlies Christmas and the nativity. Now it's not as though there's like a full gospel presentation, although there are from, from the limited amount of the limited ability that Roman Catholic priests and monks have to actually present the gospel, right? There's still a core of the gospel present in most of what they're saying. Even if all it is, is that they're reading and using scriptural words, right on thousands of people every year were exposed to that message. They were hearing scriptural language. They were seeing scriptural scenes. They were being given messages that come from the Bible, albeit at times a little bit distorted because it's a Roman Catholic presentation. But nevertheless, that's a reality that happened in this area at Christmas. And although there's a part of me that is, um, this might sound almost scandalous, and, and I'm sure that people would would not be super pleased with this, but there's a part of me that is actually a little bit happy that the Roman Catholic Church is losing ground in this area and, and that the the loss of La Salette as a property is actually the evidence and is is sort of an outcome of that. There's a part of me that sort of mourns the loss of this institution because this is now one less place that people are exposed to scriptural themes and scriptural messages. And I think that is a microcosm of the opportunity we all have at Christmas time, right? This Roman Catholic shrine capitalized on Christmas. Thousands of people came to their property and were exposed to their message in one way or another because all they did was put up just a ton of lights. They had this display. It, I'm sure it cost them a ton of money. I mean, electricity is not cheap. Um, that's a microcosm of the opportunity we have, but also there's something just deeply good about recognizing the goodness that is present in the message that's presented at Christmas. Um, you know, common grace is a thing and the idea that there is fellowship and peace among people and that there can be a restored fellowship among people. That's a common grace principle. So I don't want to belabor the point. I think I think it's been made, but I just think this time of year, we should really look around at what is being, there's so many messages that are being sent our way that are negative that we have to protect ourselves against. We don't have to protect ourselves against the message of Christmas, even the right. cultural iterations of it. We can recognize that separating Christ from his benefits is bad. And that that's what the culture is doing. But that doesn't mean that we have to separate Christ from his benefits. We can recognize that the benefits that they're presenting, they're trying to get, those only come in Christ. And we can celebrate Christmas because Christ is the one that actually delivers them. And were it not for Christmas, were it not for the nativity, we wouldn't have those benefits at all. Yeah, I think sometimes like Christians have the sense that like they're the most uncomfortable at Christmas. There have been times I felt that way. And then as I started to evaluate that, I thought, why should I be? In many ways, like this is the time of year where so much of what people want to happen is the most aligned with what I also want to happen. And I think, like you said, not only does that lead into like maybe lovely conversation, it's it's yours to take advantage of if you so desire. But beyond that, there's just something beautiful in sitting back and being able to celebrate it nonetheless, whether or not you interact with it. And to your point, and I hope people will do this. This is a fun little exercise for everybody. Everybody should go and Google La Salette Shrine in Enfield, New Hampshire, because I fear that you and I might be like not being hyperbolic enough with the yeah. light display. Like yeah, we're, we're talking about like an epic, like like you said, hillside, like multi-acre, yeah. like fantastical kind of light display. And to me, like, and this just proved your point. So this property was given up by the Roman Catholic Church. They decided that it wasn't worth, especially they did a cost benefit analysis and said it wasn't worth it for them to keep it open, even with everything you just said. So what happened is uh, the place across the street purchased this property because they recognized, I think, that they didn't want it to be developed or they it was important to the community. They wanted it to fall into better hands. 
And so, like, what what is that place across the street that purchased it? It's the Quaker. It's the Shakers. Yeah, the yeah, Shaker so, Museum. Exactly. So it's a Shaker Museum, and and we could talk all about what that means. But here's the phenomenal thing: is that their intention was to keep the lights going on this yeah. year. Now they didn't because, and this does crack me up when I saw the message was, <laughs> they basically did like a quick inspection of the electrical facilities and yeah. realized that it wasn't up to code. But their intent was to keep this going because yeah. like even they, they were talking about the Shakers, the Quakers, they recognized, listen, you know what? This celebration at Christmas time is so meaningful and so important and so reasonable that we're going to keep it going. We're going to pay money to purchase a property. And then we're going to make sure that it continues to function as it always did, which was to draw people in celebration. Somewhere. Like this is the, so like this I've been thinking about a lot recently and we can end on this if you want to, Tony, is that I've been thinking so much about like Jesus, his prerogative is to like embarrass his enemies. That's what he's going to do. Yeah. Like he does it now. He does it with Satan now. And he's going to do it in the eschaton. He's going to embarrass his enemies. Not just to people embarrassed. Part of the way he starts that process is he embarrasses them by coming as a child. Yeah. He embarrasses them by coming as the lowborn, as the lamb of God, as like the perfect sacrifice, as the unassuming one. And so like he's embarrassing his enemies now. He's embarrassing even unbelievers when we all subscribe to, we're all drawn into, we all feel this pull, the center of gravity into these principles at this time of year. And that's because Jesus comes to conquer and we shouldn't be afraid of the first advent, but there's a second one coming yeah. which is going to judge his enemies. And he's going to bring to consummation that embarrassment of his enemies. And so it just strikes me. And it's so funny you brought that up because I'd forgotten about it. But when I saw the article about like the shakers were saying they the light, the lighting system wasn't good, but they're, they like regrettably were saying, yeah. We're so sorry we can't do the lights this year. But honestly, trust us, it's not because we don't want to do them. We want to do them. Like they're making that point. It's just we can't do them because like probably the Catholics have not kept up with like the code requirement. <laughs> it was going to cost like $100,000 to update the the electric system. As well. Yeah. And, and you know, part of me could see, and this is like an intramural conversation made for you and I when we're talking at, in the holiday season, is like I, I could see them like trying to raise money to make this happen because the community sees such oh, great yeah, value. Sure. In these lights. And by the way, like when we're talking about these lights, you can just Google it. You can see the pictures. Like some of these lights are like, Jesus is the savior. Like yeah. Those are really li literally written in the lights. We're not just talking about like, there's all kinds of things. Anyway, I, I just find in this, like everywhere you look, it's irony upon irony upon irony. Jesus wins. Jesus draws us. And even for the non-believer in this Christmas season, he is drawing. I, I would say like, we ought to be a part of that work as he does it. And Christ for Christmas is exactly that prerogative. That, that's all I'm saying. Like, you can take that for what you will. You can take that for two random guys on the internet who are saying things that you, you might be thinking like, listen, my church doesn't do that. We have no trees. We have no lights. That's fine. Right. It also seems like to me a profound missed opportunity to recognize that if God is in control of all the world, of all the cultures, and that this is the place in which we find ourselves, that there is something remarkably meaningful and profound about that. And providence is in the midst of it. That's that's all I'm saying. Yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, Jesse, I think this has been a great conversation. It's a good way to start uh, the Christmas season and to to think about these things and to really consider. You know, we don't want to accept things uncritically, but we also don't want to throw the baby out yeah, yeah. with the bathwater. Yeah, and as someone who has a baby who frequently takes bathwater, you don't want to throw babies out with bathwater. So I'm glad we had this conversation. I don't think we're gonna like belabor the point into another episode. Um, again, we, you know, we, we just came off of this multi-year long series of systematic theology and, you know, we're looking for topic ideas. So if, if there's something that you wish we would talk about and you want to be able to tell us about that, you can join our telegram chat. You can point any web browser, uh, to t.me slash reform brotherhood. And that will give you the opportunity to either download Telegram if you don't have it or to join the channel. You can look around. You don't have to join. You can just look around and get an idea for it if you don't want to don't want to commit to it until after you've seen it. But within that Telegram channel, there is a subtopic called topic suggestions or topic ideas, something along that lines. And we would love if you have something you want to talk about, you want us to talk about, you want us to cover on the show. We would love if you join that Telegram channel. We want you just to get involved in the Telegram channel because it's a lot of fun. But join that channel and make your suggestion. 
We are probably in the new year, we are going to start going through some of those a little bit more in depth and starting to do some of those topics that have come up. So please do make your suggestions. Um, We want this show to be something that is useful to the people that listen. And the best way we can, one of the best ways we can be useful is for you to tell us what you want us to talk about, what you want us to cover. Yeah, that's right. So let me put up a quick plug in. I know we're already way over, but there's no rules. This is free. You can just stop listening at any time. Literally, you can stop now if you want to. Or now, or now. So uh, let me put a plug in. You and I are going to be together in a couple of weeks, right? And usually when we're together, we like to do like a couple of like either mini episodes or we just have a, a literal a conver- probably a casual conversation. Some people believe they're always together, but that's just the the beauty. Of <laughs> we're not actually in the same room, but we will find ourselves in the same room. And more than that, uh, because of the Christmas holiday, we'll find ourselves gathered together with um, my family and yours. So by virtue of that, I would say, in that Telegram channel, and I'm gonna open this is I'm gonna open this up to like people who are just in that channel. It's I'm only gonna look there, and I rarely look anywhere, so I'm just gonna look there. <laughs> if you have questions, like of, I would say, like of a more fun or personal nature that you'd like either me or Tony to answer, or you'd like my father, who is the resident pastor of the podcast, who we usually have on this time that time of year, or my mother, who has appeared on the podcast at various times. If you have questions for anybody. That's your place. And that would probably be a fun way for us to just have like a chat. And I'm willing to entertain almost, almost any questions. So you don't make <laughs> it weird. I'm willing to entertain almost any question for this group of people. And, you know, maybe nobody will be interested in us, Tony, and that's fine too. But if there's something you've always wanted to know, uh, this is your chance that we can have a little fun as the year draws to an end. How do you, how do you feel about that? I think that'd be great. Like if you want to get the real scoop, you could tell us that you want us to ask our wives to answer our question about us. Yeah, and that's we would do that. Assuming that they are interested, which they probably are not, but they might if they think it will embarrass us on the yes. internet. Yeah. Uh, we'll put the microphone in front of them and put your question in front of them. Um, if you want to know what Jesse was like when he was a little kid and you want us to talk to his mom about that, we can make that happen. So I think that probably just about does it tonight, Jesse. I'm excited about what where the podcast is going. We've got a lot of interesting ideas and plans, and we want to hear your thoughts. So join that channel, t.me slash Reform Brotherhood, and uh, give us your topic suggestions. Jump in on the conversation. We had a great conversation about like EFS, which we haven't talked about that for a long time. People are asking for prayer requests. It's just a great place to be online. So, Jesse, until yes. next time, honor yes. everyone. Let's love that brother. What if I'm far from home? Oh, brother, I would hear you call. What if I lose it all? Oh, sister, I would help you bow. If the sky comes falling down for you, there's nothing in this world.